This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. The Premier, uh, Kathleen Wynne, has been downplaying the exit of Deb Matthews and Liz Sandals yesterday, saying it won't impact the party's chances uh, in the 2018 election. A couple of uh, key, I guess about half a dozen total, um, key uh, liberals uh, have uh, decided not to run in the next election. Uh, Is this just because of uh, career paths and changes they've decided to take? They're retiring, they're getting on. Uh, or, of course, do they see the writing on the wall? To talk more about all of this, Henry Jasek is with her. Prof- uh, Henry Jasek is with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. He is here now. Henry, as always, thanks for the, for the time. We greatly appreciate this. Well, I'm happy to be with you today. And let me tell all your listeners that I believe that both the weather and politics will heat up this winter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as, as sure as the sun will rise. That's right. Uh, so they'll heat up together. There you go. There you go. Well, that's something to look forward to. Uh, are you surprised by any of this? Uh, probably not. I mean, look at the the last two, Deb Matthews and Liz Sandals, looking at their age. Uh, as the Premier said, uh, and I've it's been known for some time, they're grandmothers. They're up there in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been in, you know, they've they've been on uh, at the legislature for quite some time. It's a real grind. I mean, politicians. I, mean, I think most po- uh, people don't understand this. But politicians, especially cabinet ministers, it's a uh, tough gig. Uh, isn't it is it? a twelve-hour yeah. day, yeah. five days a week. Plus, a lot of times your weekends are eaten up. It is just it. They spend a lot of time, and it's exhausting. Yeah. And sometimes you wonder how how they keep going. And now, when you get people who are in their into their sixties, late sixties, into their seventies, and you know, you say, well, you know, they're gonna, they're gonna, you know, a lot of them are gonna say, God, I just can't do it anymore. I enjoy it, but I can't do it anymore. Uh, you talked about the age of the last two, um, and certainly in, in into retirement uh, category. That's for sure. What does this say about the the leadership of the party have they been enough have they done enough over the years to replenish and and bring younger people in well i think they're trying certainly they're trying to there's always a, a there is always a problem with a party being in uh, office for a long time is they have to bring in they don't want to lose all their veterans i mean it's like it's like a, yeah. a sports team you don't want to lose all your veterans you want to have a nice mix of veterans and the young up and comers so you have to make sure you're bringing in good quality younger talent and uh, you're letting them uh, learn the ropes and then slowly move them into important positions. Meanwhile, your older folks, uh, when they hit a certain point, are going to depart from the scene, but not before they mentor the young people and sort of try to tell them this is this is the way you are you, you should be to be successful. And good parties do that. Good, all good organizations do that. And uh, the you know the liberals have certainly been trying to do that, and they are. Uh, you know, they're in some cases they're quite successful. I mean, we look look here in town. I mean, we've got uh, uh, you know for the new riding, we it was a Glambrook, Flamborough, Glambrook, right? right? Uh, well, we've got Judy Partridge, who's running for the Liberals, who's been recruited by Ted McMeekin, and uh, when was her nomination? Kathleen Wynn came down. So yeah, and that you know they have to do those sort of things to get those people, in, you know, newer people in. Uh, younger people in who who have both experience at the local level, but are now ready to you know put their time in at the provincial level. How do you lure candidates when uh, it doesn't look too uh, positive for you in the polls? Well, yeah, it's harder. Oh, it's much harder. But at the same time, you uh, you know uh, you just try to use whatever arguments you can. You 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 know it's. Um, you know, I've known cases of where people have been reluctant. I don't want to use their names. Where, in fact, uh, where uh, 
where the spouse of, uh, of of the premier has actually called the spouse of the person you're courting, and you say, you know, this is really good, you know, really worrying about whether maybe the spouse of the person you're courting in the background is saying, no, no, don't do it. And so working on them, you just try to find all the arguments you can and try to, you know, find out who, the, who that person is most influenced by and then try to talk to them so they will talk to that person. Yeah, you, it, it's a, it's a, it, you, you really have to work hard at it. It certainly isn't an overnight decision, is it? No, no, no. And, I mean, there's cases like in town, uh, Jennifer Moss, if I'll use her name there. I mean, the first time Dalton McKinney came to her, she said, absolutely not. And then they went to a person who uh, they thought was going to be good, and he got into some trouble, scandal, and they had to drop him. And so the premier went back, and, and Jennifer at that point, I think, was pregnant, and he had to make all sorts of, he said, listen, I really want you. We recognize you won't be able to come campaign as much as an ordinary person. And I think that I think her baby was born by that point. So they knew she was breastfeeding. So they're going to be short hours and the baby was going to be with her all the time. So they're willing to be adaptable. And and Jennifer won that writing, you know, took it away from the conservatives, as I recall. And then so, yeah, so it's uh, you have to really work at it. Yeah, Don McGinty was very good. He recruited a lot of good people. And I think, uh, you know, some certainly people, you know, some of the people around uh, Kathleen Wynn, including our own Ted McMeekin. I mean, he's got, you know, he's he's really got a good sense of people. And he, you know, he's been trying to help her out. And uh, But I think Dalton was really very good at, you know, bringing in good quality people. But, of course, a lot of those people now are, are the ones who are leaving or have left. What about a deadline to leave? At what point do you say, okay, either you're in or you're out as we as we uh, move towards an election? Yeah, I mean, I think some people like like Dalton, as I said, was very good at this. He would, I think, how he he ran this very well. Like he wanted to know, as I recall now, I think I got this right. You know, he wants to know a year in advance or more. Are you going to run the next time or not? Because if you're not, because he wanted to do. If you're not going to run, I want to bring along some younger people, especially to his cabinet ministers. I want to bring along somebody who's going to be able to get into cabinet. And give them a little experience before we hit the, you know, the hit the elections, and 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 I also want to go out and recruit somebody, and especially for a seat if somebody's leaving. So this is getting a little on the late side. Uh, you know, I I agree with Dalton the, the way he used to do it that you need to know a year ahead of time, and so it's now getting a little on the late side because then how are you going to recruit people into those writings? And every time one of these senior people goes, most of the writings they're leaving. Are then up for grabs. They're you know they're not gonna because you know when you have a good quality incumbent, you know they can pick up ten fifteen percent of the vote that otherwise wouldn't belong to the party. And of course, when that party retires, then you've lost that and you've got to start you know saying okay, I got to get somebody in there who who can you know slowly build up to there or you know try to reco- recapture some of that personal vote that that the member uh, that the previous member had but that's not easy but you you try to find somebody who can do that and the best way to do it of course is what I watch is are you p- getting people who um, you know who have some experience either in school boards uh, or local councils or community things where they're well known so they they bring us a, a reputation and that's what's so interesting about that Flamborough Glambrook I mean we've got both you know you got Donna Skelly running for the PC Judy Partridge for the Liberals I mean you got two excellent candidates yeah. there both parties have done their jobs there I mean that's going to be one of the most fascinating races in the entire province because you got two quality people who have good you know yeah. city hall experience and uh, it's it's going to be that's going to be interesting, but it's hard. I mean, there's a lot of writings you have to cover and try to find people, and it's not uh, so. It's a lot of work, but it's something that uh, 
you know, that has to be done if a party's going to stay in power or if a party is going to win. You've got to get out and encourage good people to, to get in there and throw their hat in the ring and, and then to run. And that's not always the easiest thing to convince people to do that. Here's what the Premier had to say about the last two leaving. Uh, I have a strong team. We have wonderful candidates around the province who are signing on, who are going to put their names on signs, and we're very, very grateful for that. I hold those two things, you know, gratitude for Deb and Liz and, uh, and welcoming new candidates in. What about Henry? That these two, these last two, were especially uh, key advisors for her, and, oh, yeah. and and people that were close to her. Uh, how do you replace that? Well, I mean, they're still available to be advice, but I mean, they're really they're they're really great. Uh, strength in the uh, in the election is basically you know appearing on the ballot when you're dealing with someone like Deb Matthews I mean she was one you know one of the key people in southwestern Ontario in southwestern Ontario <clears throat> really really critical area because it can swing in all sorts of ways and so uh, that you know certainly when Don McGinty lost his majority it was he lost it because he lost southwestern Ontario and when she got it back she got it so Deb Matthews is important because of her because being in London and being the sort of regional area minister and the person you know uh, who the people in that area look to and who you know had she understood that area and uh, was very very important so for her not being there that is a big blow uh, to uh, you know to to the to the party in southwestern Ontario and the big question well who's going to be uh, you know who's going to take her place and there's not somebody who really jumps to mind there uh, the NDP has made inroads in Windsor. The, a lot of the rural constituencies are held now by conservatives, uh, and there are even, you know, there are liberal uh, NDPers around. The, a strong NDP is coming up in in London, uh, and then depending on how far you go to southwestern Ontario, getting closer to our place, you're losing Dave Levac, who's the Liberal Speaker. He's stepping down. So yeah, that's going to be a real battleground. That's going to be a tough one for the for the Liberals to hold on to. I so. guess if you're in your last, uh, you, you know, you're in the last uh, a few months of the mandate and there's an election coming a year away or less than a year in this case now, there really is no good time to leave, is there? No, uh, and I know they were thinking, you know, I'm sure they, they're trying to figure out uh, how long can they wait before they go. Because you really, if you leave too early, then it looks like people are made up their mind and they're jumping ship really early. Yeah. If you wait too long, then the party... You know, doesn't have time to get uh, get a can. You know, get uh, somebody to take their place. Uh, yeah, so you're right. It's not. It is very difficult. It, there's no good time to do it. Uh, hope you know, from the liberal point of view, of course, you'd hope they're going to be able to get somebody, uh, you know, good to run in those writings. And uh, you know, you never. We, yeah, we just don't know what's going to happen there. And I mean, both Guelph, uh, where Sandals was, and the, and the London writing for. Uh, Deb Matthews. I mean, they're both up in the air right now, and I don't know, you know, whether they're going to have high quality, you know, how high quality a, a replacement they're going to have for those two people. What's the biggest challenge for Kathleen Wynne between now and the election? Oh yeah, that that is a difficult one. I mean, she's treading water, really. Um, yeah, I mean, it. I mean, yeah, it's it's, it's, it's as if it's face, as if your faces so many challenges. I mean, she's got to hope that. Quite frankly, that we do have a warm win winter, so people's energy bills aren't that high. I mean, she lucked out. Uh, yeah, actually, I had this conversation a few weeks ago with the uh, with the environment minister, and he was talking about how the bills were all going down for people, electricity bill. And I know that's true. I looked at mine this past mm -hmm. week, and God, it's the lowest ever. 
uh, it's dropped, you know, it's dropped, you know, to almost a third of what it was last year because of the new things they've done. But I said you lucked out because, you know, at least through August, it was a cool summer. So yeah. a lot of people didn't have to keep running their air conditionings all the time. Now, you know, so you need something. Now you need a winter that's going to be warm. But even if that, uh, I don't know if, how much good that's going to do. But it's certainly, I mean, a bad winter. If people have to use a lot of energy, they're going to that'll they'll put them in a bad mood. Yeah, you see. So it it is a really tough time for her. <clears throat> She's got to try to get the best people she can to run with her. But. Uh, yeah, it's there's not. I mean, at this point in time, you know, there's she's just really running out of options and resources. But she has to raise money too. I mean, the rumors are, the stories are they don't have a lot of money, and we have not seen any liberal ads on TV really. Although they're spending government money on ads, hmm. which they, which which uh, which uh, I think was a mistake on the on their part. You know, what they Don McGinty came in. One of the great things he did is he had the Auditor General vet all government spending on ads because it had been traditional. All parties used to do this. Yep. They'd advertise all oh, what great programs we're doing, and they weren't spending party money. They were spending the taxpayers' money yeah. to tell you. And the and the and Dalton's I think it was really great. Said, listen, we got to stop that. We have to let the Auditor General vet all of these things and he got a committee of experts and they would look at them and, and they would say no no you can't spend money on that or you're going to have to change that ad well the liberals didn't like it and uh, when when wind came in so she made it a lot easier to go back to the old system not completely but it really weakened the reforms that Dalton McGinty had put in there and now they're spending all money but they haven't spent any party money um uh, so right now yeah it's uh i i don't know how they're going to counter you know the attitudes of the public and what kind of ad, you know ads can be important but i don't know what they're going to and you wonder if there. they can be aggressive because if they're yeah. aggressive that might just tick people off more maybe you you know like a, a comment she made hey i'm just going to govern the the province i'm just going to do the best i can i'm just going to maybe yeah. it's better just to lie low and 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 see if the other parties implode in any way yeah, well, the, I'm certainly there. The liberals are certainly looking for a mistake that the conservatives are, are, are making, and yeah. you can see them playing, you know, looking at each other and testing ideas out against each other, seeing who's going to make the big mistake. The problem in our system for both those parties, there's a third party, and Andrea Horvath and the NDP can sit back and let the other two sort of trade blows. Yeah. And if they come out with a with a, and, and they may, if they can fashion a message that really, you know, that people really like and looks they're above the fray. I mean, sometimes you can get a, a party or a politician happens at a local level, you see it sometime, and you say, listen, these other two people are the prominent ones. They're fighting all the time and throwing mud at each other. I'm a positive person. I got a positive program here. Ignore those two people. Why don't you go with somebody new? <laughs> so that's the problem. You've got three three contenders here, and it's uh, it's really hard to beat up on just one person because you you know as I you know it's often said that if you throw mud at somebody, you may hit them, but there's always mud on your hands. Henry Jasek has been with us, professor of political science, McMaster University. Henry, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Okay, always great. Always like talking to you, Scott. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show weekdays from noon to three on AM 900. Uh, you might remember over the last little while, last couple of years, uh, we got to know the mayor of Trent Hills, Hector McMillan. He was quite a character. And Hector was uh, a well-loved mayor in his community and uh, developed pancreatic cancer. And uh, pancreatic cancer is pretty much a death sentence here. And 
he had to go to Germany to get treatment for this, uh, despite there being a machine that was capable of doing this in Toronto, but it was undergoing tests or what have you. And long story short, Hector had to go uh, elsewhere for his treatment. Here's what he had to say, some of the first couple of conversations uh, that we had with Hector prior to his surgery. Hello, Hector. How are you today? Well, other than I've been sentenced to die, I'm, I'm doing okay. Well, I was looking for a procedure to uh, get this uh, tumor out of my pancreas, a cancer tumor. And uh, we have the technology and the equipment to do it in Toronto. And uh, Ontario won't do it. OHIP won't do it. And they won't pay to have it done elsewhere either. Here's what uh, Hector had to say after returning from Germany and the surgery. Hello, Hector. How are you? I'm awesome. How are you, Scott? I'm doing very well, and it's so great to hear you say that because I remember when we chatted and you didn't feel that way. How is your health, Hector? How you doing? I'm great. I'm really good. Considering that, uh, you know, I've been written off and, and told that I would have been gone by now. All right, let's bring in Joe Warmington, of course, columnist with your Toronto son. His column, Mayor Heck, who fought cancer in OHIP, leaves a proud legacy, and he is with us now. Uh, now. Joe, thank you for taking the time to join us today. We appreciate this. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's a tough act to follow with Heck, uh, those great quotes. And, uh, you know, but I'm proud to do it. He was a great guy, like you said. And, you know, when I heard the news yesterday that he had passed on, only a year removed from yeah. his surgery, it was like a kick right in the head. Yeah, I was quite surprised uh, to hear the news as well. Did you have any word that he was on the decline? I didn't, uh, but I was suspicious that he hadn't been emailing me back in the last little while. Hmm. Uh, so it crossed my mind that, you know, that maybe something had developed. Uh, I know he was worried about the different things. He was kind of strangely for, uh, uh, you know, such a public figure. He was kind of strangely private, too. Hmm. Uh, you know, he talked about things in the big picture, but not necessarily in the small ones. So if he had a, a bad day, sore back, you know, bad night of coughing or whatever, he didn't really announce that. But all that stuff was happening. Uh, it's amazing how much publicity he did get and how much of an advocate he was for this procedure. Well, he was the trailblazer and whistleblower all at the same time. And that, you know, he was a guy with power. There's hundreds of people like that that have no power. He happened to be a mayor of a community and an amalgamated community of four great, you know, Eastern Ontario towns. And you, you know what, um... He he never suffered fools gladly. I knew him before. Uh, things like on the highway, heroes. He's one of the first people to jump up and say, "Let's do that." Uh, he was a real Canadian guy. And uh, when he saw that this was happening, not just to himself but other people, that you know they had the technology right here. You know, it's so frustrating. We all go through that red tape of dealing with government. What you know, the machine is there, and people want to help you, but you know they won't do it. Uh, that's what he ran into, and he shined light on that. And uh, some of us in the media helped him do that. But in terms of, uh, you know, not being afraid, I mean, he didn't care who the premier thought she was or who the minister, uh, Eric Hoskins, uh, thought he was. He just told it as it was. And, you know, those clips that you talked about, and I know your producer was reminded when you called Hector, he answered the phone with, I'm Hector McMillan. I remember that. Yeah. Die by the Ontario government. Yeah. Uh, he wasn't kidding around. And, uh you know, it did get him. I mean, it took a year. I don't know if that surgery bought him that extra year or if it had been a few weeks before or months before instead of fighting and just treating him. 
but the one thing is they actually have the nano knife surgery happening right today uh, in Toronto at least, and I don't know if it's happening out in Hamilton, but uh, some places are trying it out. So hopefully it'll save other lives. It's not you know, every you know every cancer surgery, as you know, is mm. it's not foolproof. I mean, you you do your best. That's a pretty evil disease, though. So do you think that his advocacy uh, paved the way for for those that may be getting treatment through this uh, process oh, now? Well, there's no question about it. I mean, if it wasn't for for him, they wouldn't have ever got to it. And look at I I'm not you know I try to be nice about the government, but. You know they didn't treat him very well, and they still didn't. They didn't offer. You know the minister didn't offer a condolences quote. I mean, don't tell me he doesn't have one on speed dial. Yeah. Um, they don't like him. They don't like what he did. They don't like anybody that has power that can say, "Hey, what, what about this or what about that?" Yeah, they they buckled to the pressure of Hector McMillan, uh, and you know got it through. Uh, whether it's helping people or not, they're calling it experimental. Basically, what the nano knife is. Is it's it's not a laser surgery, but it's like that. It goes, you, you know, you sort of point it. It goes, it can get at the pancreas through the skin, if you will, and burn off the the tumor. That's a simple way of saying it. They're doing it in other places, the U.S. and in Germany, and they've had success with it. Uh, it does get the tumor off, but but you know, as you know, with cancer, uh, you can cut the tumor off or get it out or part of it out or all of it, but that doesn't mean the cells don't. Mm-hmm. You know, go so it's it, it's not a like a foolproof thing. I don't think that he ever said it was either. But plus, you know, there, the, the yeah. res- usually with a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, it's pretty grim. I mean, this is this is a pretty fatal cancer, and it's because you can't get at it. Yeah, you can't you can't you can't cut it out because the pancreas doesn't uh, set up for that. So, so you know, you can remove a, a kidney, you can remove all kinds of things, but. Pancreas is not like that. So this nano knife surgery, I think we're in the early stages of what it could become. You have to start somewhere. Mm. Um, Hector McMillan will go down in history as the guy that made that happen. Um, if I get to keep doing what I do, and I know if you get to keep doing what you do, we'll, we'll you know we, we'll remember this guy. Yeah. Uh, and and you know credit to the premier and to the uh, you know to the minister of health uh, for at least uh, doing it. But I wish they were a little more gracious uh, about it. You know, their job is to is to do these kinds of things. That's what they're there to do. And um, you know, I didn't like the way that they handled him at all. Uh, do you think the fact that he died a year after or so, a year or so after getting this surgery, that um, people can say, "Hey, yeah, see, it didn't work," or "It did work," or as you said, I mean, these are baby steps one at a time. I don't know. I mean, I guess all of the above. Um, a year, most people are gone in six weeks with pancreatic cancer. So I think I think the tumor coming out uh, did help him, uh, but he never uh, he had he had cancer before too. Yeah, he did. Um, and so you know, I don't know whether he's the test case to say well that did or didn't work. Um, they have the technology. They have doctors that want to do it here. They have the equipment. And uh, it was sitting there, it was already purchased. It's not like, you know, they're talking about grape juice and, you know, mixing an egg and yeah. whatever, iodine and, you know, swallow yeah. that. Like, that's what they tried to push it as. No, they bought the equipment. They're going to do the tests on it. They just didn't get around to it. Now, was this the major, uh, was this the primary use for this piece of equipment or was it being used for other things? And no, I was, uh, I don't know for sure, but I was told that it was the primary use of it. It's a nano knife. Right. So it cuts through. Um, 
But I guess it would serve for lots of things other than just pancreatic cancer. Yes, no. I, I didn't I didn't know that, but yeah. if that's the case then I don't either. I don't pretend yeah, to know. I'd never yeah. heard that until now, but uh we'll have to check in on that. I, I'm not sure, but I do know that one of the things that we were able to at least put on the table and it hasn't happened yet, but hopefully it will, maybe if there's a change of government or maybe if this government wants to get reelected, is that and Lisa McLeod and I talked about, about that a lot, uh who's the member for in Ottawa, is to have a fund for these kinds of situations where we don't do something that other people are already doing, we're not you know we're not ahead of the curve on it. We're ahead on some things, and obviously we're not on another thing. So if they're doing it down in the U.S., and we've had that young lady Maddie, remember, and uh, mm, yeah. we fought for her as well. And there's lots of other cases like that. Uh, so you know, there's a fund you can say go down and get that thing done, and and you know there's some help. You don't lose your house and. You know, all that kind of stuff. I think we have to have a conversation about that. Okay, I understand that. And what Hector did was he brought forward the fact that we're just numbers and we're basically economic units inside this big budget. And but that doesn't work when it's you or your family, your child, or what have you that has it. And uh, you know, it is a universal health care system. So you know, it. Uh, Do you think this points to a bigger problem and just uh, it points out inefficiencies within our healthcare system? I mean, obviously, this is a huge budget. It's a huge expense every year, and we're always trying to figure out ways to do it better. Do you think he drew attention to you know the fact that it's not working as well as everyone thinks it is? I don't think that was his point. I don't think that he had an overall, you know, kind of uh, whatever disdain for the actual health. Yeah. He uh, just wanted a surgery. And he wanted people to be able to get that surgery. And so, you know, it's just one of those things where this guy was fighting for that one thing. And it wasn't just for himself, because I had a lot of talks with him, and I, I knew it was he, – he received hundreds of emails – but I think overall, the bottom line is that with this uh, group of, uh, you know, the ministry, these kinds of things, they do the best they can. But the reality is that there's cases where you kind of slip between the cracks. And instead of just letting them slip between the cracks, what you're supposed to do is to try to help people. And that's what he did. Did you talk to any members of the family? I talked to his daughter, Mindy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, uh, you know, obviously they're devastated. Um, I didn't talk to his wife yet. I'm going to go down, if I can, on Friday to the visitation. Mm. I don't know if I can go to the funeral on Saturday because family stuff, you know. But uh, I'm going to try to go Friday because it would be nice to see everybody. Look, this guy's well-loved down there, as you know. He was the mayor for 14 years. His dad was the mayor at one time. Um, He's very Rob Ford-like in in terms of, you know, you want to get something fixed or there's something going on on your street or whatever. He was that guy. For years, he had the gas station there in Camelford. If anyone went through there, that was his gas station. Hmm. And then uh, what happened was um, he uh, sold that. Cause he, I think a lot of it had to do with his illness, and he bought the bowling alley across the street, uh, and he fixed that up. And he was really proud of that, and he was telling me that it was a difference of going to work, um, you know, uh, the being the mayor is kind of a part-time thing down there. Only paid, yeah. I think it was twenty-five grand or something. Um, and he said it was pleasurable to go to work as opposed to gas, where everybody's grumpy about the gas prices. So <laughs> we're going to yeah. miss Hector. You know what? I'm glad we're paying tribute to him today. Um, I would have, uh, you know, I think that Eric Hoskins. What I'd like to see him do is, you know, years ago when he ran uh, for, you know, he ran, and my own colleague Sue Ann Levy ran against him, and I always. 
I, I always thought, what if Sue Ann Levy had have won that election? <laughs> you know, mm. because poor Eric Hoskins. I mean, he's just not cut out. He's a doctor. He's not cut out for the health ministry. The doctors hate him. Every the nurses hate him. Everybody hates him. He's a nice guy. Look at and and all that stuff. But maybe get that guy into something else. You know, and get somebody that cares about people. But he has one chance. And that is to pay respects to Hector McMillan. If he does that, then, you know, I think that the, the big picture of what Hector brought to the table will come full circle, you know, Scott. Mm. But if he doesn't, and they, they sort of, you know, we're pissed off at him because he brought out our inefficiencies and the hell with him and all that, then I don't know. That that, that seems to be not, I think that's the way it's going to go, and I think that's wrong. Uh, as you mentioned, the guy was an advocate, a powerful advocate. He got to the point, got the message, hit you right over the head with it as soon as you picked up the phone and talked to him. Did his family say anything about his heroics or his, his the way he did things, the way he operated? They, he's just their dad, their yeah. Hector to them. I mean, yeah. they they love him, and you know, he's a good old four kids, seven grandkids, same wife, you know, for fifty years mm. or forty years, I guess, since he was eighteen or nineteen. He's only fifty nine. Um, the guy that goes to the curling, you know, rink, and the guy that goes to the pub and the legion, and you know, he's got a problem with your driveway. He comes and fixes it. That's who he is. The rest of this stuff all came later, uh, and it was all over, you know, something that he noticed that was a crack in the system, and he used his power for that reason. And he was one fierce, tough customer, not afraid of anybody, and he didn't care. The thing I like about Hector McMillan. And the thing I like about Rob Ford as well is that it doesn't he's not impressed because you're Harvey Weinstein, the head of a hmm. studio or whatever. You know, you're the same as the guy or gal that is sleeping on the street. And that's kind of how I approach things. I know that you do the same, Scott. There's no one better than anyone else. Hmm. And uh, and he's really, really uh brought that to light here, I think and uh you know, there's a lot of cancer patients that'll never forget him because uh, you know, he helped uh, put light on that. Uh, I'm sure he had other bigger fish to fry had he lived and and had a a healthy life, but it would have been interesting to see if he had uh, gone further in politics and where he might have appeared and, you know, what kind of thorn he would be uh, if he had continued a career in politics. It's a good point. I mean, I, you know, back in the day, he kind of reminded me of what I've heard about Leslie Frost, who was like this kind of country lawyer, and he was a great premier. Um, I don't know where he was from, I think somewhere in Peterborough area. And I used to hear that he always had his law office there and he'd pop in. He was a very folksy country, different time. Mm-hmm. And I think there's room for a guy like that and like to run for, if he lived, he, he would have been a good guy to run for the leadership of a party. And, you know, people might have taken to him. I know it's a little different in the city, uh, a character like that, but... Yeah. You know, but I don't know whether that was his really his ambition. I mean, he he joked about things like that just to get attention and get some you know the ball moving, if you will. But um, I think he was pretty content being the mayor down there and running his bowling alley and looking after his four kids. What do you think? Seven grandkids. Your headline leaves a proud legacy. How do you think the people there will look at him? How do you think they'll remember him? Well, they're going to know that they lost an advocate. And that he's old school. And, you know, they have a lot of, down in eastern Ontario there, where he is in those towns, uh, Hastings and Camelford and the the different ones, none of those places have economic uh, growth at all, you know, and so they need a lot of help. And he was the guy that was always, uh, you know, he and his council thinking of ideas and pushing forward, things like that. And so... 
that will be missed uh, for sure. Uh, you know, there'll be someone else who'll step up there, but he did that very well for down in that uh, Trent Hills area. Mayor of Trent Hills, Hector McMillan, of course, uh, passes away, sadly, after a courageous fight with uh, pancreatic cancer and, of course, uh, his legacy to try to make sure others don't have to go through what he went through. Joe Warrington has been with us, columnist for your Toronto Sun. The headline is Mayor Heck, who fought cancer and OHIP leaves proud legacy. Joe, thanks for the time, as always. Much appreciated. All the best. Thanks, Scott. Take care. uh, R.I.P. Hector McMillan. I hear you. Thank you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right. uh, NBC reporters talking about, uh, and of course, uh, uh, from the Times, talking about uh, Harvey Weinstein and, of course, uh, what has uh, literally exploded before him and uh, the scandal that has uh, come out. Uh, and then been verified or certainly compounded by those that had worked with or for Harvey Weinstein in the past and uh, coming out to uh, publicly condemn him. A Hollywood movie, uh, movie mogul has been accused of multiple uh, sexual assault, abuse, and harassment with actresses over the years. Gwyneth Paltrow, Angelina Jolie, some of the ones who have spoken out. Uh, to talk more about all of this, Alyssa Freeman is with us, public relations consultant. Uh, you can read her stuff in Huffington Post, Canada.com, PR Daily. She is with us now. Alyssa, thanks for taking the time to join us today. As always, Scott. Your thoughts on this. How big is this? We talked about Cosby before, the Gian Gameshi thing. How big is this one? Big. <laughs> to put it in one word. Is this, this enough really to change? blockbuster. Is this enough to change Hollywood? Is this enough to bring it mm. to people's attention? That's a really, really good question. You know, I've been talking about that today with some colleagues. And, you know, I say that Harvey just got caught. Everybody knew. Like, the, the parallel with Gian Gomeshi is interesting because people were whispering about uh, Gian Gomeshi and his um, alleged activities for over a decade. And the same thing is true with Harvey Weinstein. But the difference between Gomeshi and Weinstein is this. Weinstein is like omnipotent. He was all powerful. He can make you or break you. If you crossed him, you would never get a job in Hollywood again for the next few years until you did something to redeem yourself. That's how powerful he was. So this power just didn't extend to if you were a man, it it certainly extended if you were a woman. So by um, overstepping the boundaries of his power, thinking that he could use that to use and abuse, you know, would be and want to be actresses at his will is really a is it, hip- is, it, is it hypocritical then, Alyssa, to pile on if everybody knew this was going on? Is, oh, now we're going to take his name off the sign. Now we're going to do this. Now we're gonna, isn't, isn't that hypocritical at this point? Well, you raise an excellent point, and this is what people are saying, because, you know, liberal activists and all those uh, people who especially he gave uh, money to, liberal organizations, they may have heard about Harvey Weinstein. Like, I'm sure that they knew. But they, you know, politicians took his money. Organizations took his money. So as long as... It, it was sort of like, well, you know, boys will be boys type of thing. So, you know, the fact that one of their own um, it has, you know, suffered these, not even suffered, but was caught for these huge transgressions is um, a bit laughable in some conservative circles. Uh Obviously, many have spoken out against this. Uh, Angelina Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow have uh, included uh, testimonies that they have, uh, in fact, uh, uh, you know, um, been treated this way by this man. Why would they have not come out and spoken out about this sooner? 
Well, here's the thing. You know, when somebody is so powerful that can make or break your career, and think of what the arts is all about. You know, do you have the right look? Do we like your eyebrows? Are you the right type? You know, when you finally make it, you don't want to break it because then you'll never work again. So that's why they were afraid because the repercussions were huge because he had such a a web of connections that no matter what it was in the entertainment industry, one call by Harvey Weinstein could change the trajectory of that. But clearly that wasn't the case here. So why now? I mean, there was an actress that was much less popular than Gwyneth Paltrow and Angelina Jolie that has that, that, that instigated a lot of this. So, you know, she didn't feel that way. And, and, and again, I'm not piling on the victims here. I, I certainly don't mean to to portray that. But again, as we mentioned earlier, I think there's a certain amount of hypocrisy here. And again, Angelina Jolie and, and Gwyneth Paltrow, they're second generation actors. It's not like they're new to this game. So well, uh, again, I, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to pile on the victims here, but if we're all rowing in the same direction, how can we be upset when the boat goes over the falls? Well, I don't think anybody is upset, and and I think that you have to look at this from the victim mentality. You know, when this happens to a woman, no matter what industry, mm-hmm. the first thing is you are fearful. The second thing is even if I tell somebody what will happen. And the likelihood is, is that even if you were saying to somebody that Harvey Weinstein allegedly did this, this, and this to me, people were too afraid of the repercussions. So it's not like why now. It's that there was no system in order to stop it, and nobody willing to stop it. So how did it? So how did no other industry oversight? Nothing. So how do we get here, Alyssa? How do we get here? Because the casting couch is uh, is is a de facto measure in getting anywhere in Hollywood. It just is. If you're a starlet and you want to get a better part, or you want to get a break, or you want to get a small walk on in a movie. The likelihood is, is that you're going to sleep with the director or somebody of influence in order to get that. And that's just been a way of exuding power, of male power over women for decades. So why didn't they come out? Because A, there's the believability. B, there's the skewering of their reputation in the press. Well, you must have brought it on yourself. Mm-hmm. Who said that yesterday? Donna Karen. Mm-hmm. Donna Karen, the big New York fashion designer, says, yeah. well, these girls brought it on themselves. Yeah. Well, what kind of thinking is that, yeah. really? Really, I'm wearing, you know, uh, a nice outfit today. Am I going to bring upon, God forbid, sexual assault to myself? No. And I think that the whole thing about, well, boys will be boys. You know, I read a meme the other day is that boys will be boys and somebody needs to tell them how to do it. So, or when to stop bad behavior. So, you know, now that these actors are coming out, yes, you're saying it might be hypocritical. But honestly, I think you have to have a better context of, the victimization that would have happened yeah. had they had they come forward in the first place. So why isn't there that fallout now? I'll repeat the question. So why is why is there not that fallout now? Well, there what has changed? What has changed between well, is this change industry wide? I think that people, uh, men, will be for the most part will be scared. I hope in uh, in exercising this abuse of power over women. Like I said to you when we opened, you know, Harvey got caught. There are many others, many, many others within his circle that exercised the same sort of abuse, but they didn't get caught. And he thought, so he, he, thought he could weasel his way out of this, didn't he? Well, you know, a lot of people are talking about the PR about this, and they're talking about how the crisis communications has been a bit of a debacle. Yeah, he didn't get and, out ahead of it. 
No, and I think I'd like to address it because, okay, so let's make the Gomeshi comparison again, okay? So he came out with that letter, as you recall, um, basically explaining uh, the alleged charges and that this was his way of life. And then after that, a lot of these other women sort of came out of the woodwork to tell their story. Uh, he did not get out ahead of it because this was um, an investigation. And although what he did try to do that I did read about last week, and you probably did too, that he was starting to lawyer up Mm -hmm. because he knew there was a bombshell report um, coming out. There's also a Toronto-based filmmaker who does a lot of documentaries on high-powered Hollywood people. And when he tried to do um, get Harvey Weinstein as a subject, you know, he was blocked, you know, six ways to Sunday. It wasn't going to happen. But the New York Times article was able to circumvent that. So he did try to lawyer up, number one. What he didn't do was come out with that ready-made holding statement. So, you know, people may criticize the crisis communications, but one of two things happen when you're trying to cancel a client. One, they don't listen to you. Hmm. Two, the information is not that forthcoming. Well, yeah, okay, I forgot about her. Or, oh, yeah, I did that, but I didn't think it was necessary. So if you come out with a strategy and suddenly this new piece of information that the client withholds from you supersedes everything else that you've already put out there into the media, well, then you do end up looking foolish. So another example is they they, uh, hired Lisa Bloom, who is a known lawyer for representing women uh, in uh, who have, who have suffered um, sexual assault and other travesties, and they hired her. And it was interesting that they hired her to defend Harvey Weinstein, probably because they thought that they could offer some insight into the messaging and how this should all go. Now, her mom is Gloria Allred, mm-hmm. who is appalled that her daughter even went and did this. So ultimately, Lisa Bloom resigned. I think they said they fired her, but I think that she basically walked off the job. And now Gloria Allred, her mom, is representing um, a client who has come out publicly, the lesser-known actress, who's come out publicly and detailed her experience with Harvey Weinstein. So, you know, it's... I think that there will be new revelations all the time, and the ability to now control this story from Weinstein's camp has largely been lost. Um, there was uh, this happened to Angelina Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow earlier, mm-hmm. early in their career. Uh, at this point, with Gwyneth Paltrow, she was dating Brad Pitt at the time. Uh, there's stories floating around that Brad Pitt actually confronted Harvey on this stuff and said, keep your hands off Gwyneth Paltrow. Do you think that had any effect on Brad Pitt's career over the years? No, because I think at that time, Brad Pitt was a very much a white, hot celebrity in uh, in Hollywood. So, you know, what was Harvey Weinstein going to do? I mean, he just went up to him and said to him, don't, you know, don't do this to my girlfriend anymore or yeah. to anyone else. So, you know, was Harvey Weinstein going to mess with Brad Pitt? That was, you know, clearly from my point of view, sort of a no-win situation. Oddly enough, though, Gwyneth Paltrow and both Angelina Jolie have been victimized by this, which seems odd. Well, you know, and it's interesting, a lot of people are saying, well, why are they coming out now with statements? Like, you know, and and why hasn't Hillary Clinton, who has taken an enormous amount of money from uh, Weinstein, what, what took her five days to come out? And it's interesting because... You know, once, you know, if you are one's publicist, you tend to take a read of the environment on who's saying what and when. 
And in my view, people like Angelina Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow and Jessica Chastain took a more pro, well, their counsel asked, told them to take a more proactive approach in coming out with a statement so that there's no question, well, listen, Gwyneth, you won an Oscar with Harvey. Is that why you're being quiet about it? So, you know, the, the the statement of that this is deplorable and shocking or and Hillary as Hillary said, shocking and appalling behavior is now coming out. But with, you know, Hillary Clinton, um, her statement was about five days too late. Hmm. And she is selling a book right now. We all know about the shenanigans of her husband. So, you know, there yeah. is a little there is quite a bit of backlash on her. Where is this story one week from now? One week from now, I would say that there will be more women coming forward. There will be more detail of the allegations. Um, it depends if Weinstein uh, and his, uh, you know, his followers or the people who are, you know, secretly counseling him, um, come out with a better statement and actions of contrition. Because, you know, the one thing that they had him say was, well, all this money that's being returned to me, I'm going to give it to to uh, organizations to fight the NRA. Well, hmm. well, who, well who cares, Harvey? That's fabulous. Your re- reputation's in tatters. Is that supposed to make me feel better about you? Is that supposed to all of a sudden vault you back into the, the pantheon among the angels? No. There has to be a lot more work around that. So, and I, and I think that they'll start crafting more of a strategy that will show Harvey going into some sort of rehabilitation, counseling, um, things that are that will be done in order to begin the reparation of his reputation. Does he care? What if, you know, what if he just takes his money and runs? I think he cares a lot. I think that, you know, this is a man with a huge reputation and a huge ego. And to be persona non grata in entertainment and Hollywood circles would be enough to kill someone like him. Uh, when uh, the whole Gian Gameshi thing was going down, uh, the CBC was, you know, held accountable. And that, as you mentioned, this had been going on for many years. The HR department was around or was aware of this rather. Uh, and, and we talked at that time how uh, what other discussions would be within other organizations and their HR departments around this sort of behavior. Are we going to see the same thing in Hollywood? Or because obviously there's a casting couch in every studio. Uh, so where, where does this story resonate with others? I think this is a part where we can say one can only hope. One can only hope that HR departments that are attached to entertainment um, companies no longer sweep these allegations under the rug. And now they're all in a bit of crisis mode, I would have to say, Scott. And the reason being is, is that, well, we knew about this and we knew about that and she could bear. And, and then it's really, it's not their high profile talent that they have to worry about. It's all those other actresses and people that you never heard about that had to slink off into the shadows because of what happened to them. That's who they need to worry about. So there might be more of an uncovering of scandals and a behavior that has been perpetuated among movie studios and TV studios. Uh, you know, throughout the entertainment industry. So this may come to light and hurt the reputation of other companies because right now they're thinking, okay, all the spotlight is on Harvey and I hope it doesn't get turned onto us. Uh, Did this all start with Bill Cosby? Is that what, what changed the attitude here? I think, well, you know, it could. You could say that. I think what started was 
the ability for women to feel safe and to be able to tell their story. And, you know, you can sort of look to the attorneys like Gloria Allred um, and, and her like that gave women the sort of that safe space to be able to tell their story without repercussion. So, uh, you know, listen, we saw what happened to the women who told their story um, about Gianco Meshi. And fortunately or unfortunately, you know, their, their stories were discredited in court because of, you know, lack of cohesive evidence. So that's what you don't want to happen. So what you're looking for is credibility. What you're looking for are no holes to the stories. Um, and I think that when women see that, they think, you know what, I can do this. I mean, to do this is a very, very big deal. It's a long road. But if this is something that's been weighing on your mind for one year, two years, five years, 10 years, you know, this is now giving women a platform where they feel safe to tell their story. How does this change discussion, discussion in America on this issue, especially with a president like Trump? How do, what are Americans talking about today? Well, you know, that's a really great question, because honestly, Americans put in a man who talks and, and like this and engaged in the exact same behavior as Harvey Weinstein, but thought, well, we can look over that and we just hate Hillary more so that we're going to put Trump in office. So what does it say? It's deplorable. It's deplorable that if this is not one of your barometers or not one of your markers on finding somebody who's fit to uh, preside and to run a country, well, that's just sad. Hmm. Alyssa Freeman's been with us, public relations consultant. As always, Alyssa, thank you for the time. Much appreciated. Thank you, Scott. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.